morning, everybody. Good to see everybody today. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you so much that we can come by your grace, gather as your people to worship your name today. You are holy. You are awesome. You are deserving of our praise and our time. And we thank you for this privilege. I pray that your spirit would be here today to teach us the glory of marriage and your intentions for marriage to display the glory of your gospel. Be with us today, and we just thank you. Amen. I want to start you off with this story, because I love telling stories. So both my grandfathers were veterans, um, hot-blooded Irishmen. Believe it or not, I'm half Italian, half Irish. Um, the name on my birth certificate was Joey McQuiggan. Thank God I had a stepfather with the last name Thompson. But they used to call me the little, uh, actually I don't know if I should use that word, but the little Italian boy, I used it in Malden, but I thought about it. Little Italian boy with the Irish name. So both my grandfathers are tough, hot-blooded Irishmen, just a little above the, you know, average height, so that made them a little madder. And so they both fought in the war. So my grandfather on my father's side, um, he was he's going to Boston College, and um, he got drafted. So he went and fought in the war. He was wounded in battle, received the Purple Heart, was shot in the head. Um, when he came back, he became a mailman, which is still honorable. Um, but he sacrificed a lot. I mean, when you leave college, you leave your path in life. Um, you sacrifice for your country and for what it stands for. You're giving up much. The same with my um, grandfather on my mother's side. He fought in two wars um, just to get out of his house. That was crazy. He lied when he was 15 or 16 to get into the service so he had somewhere to go. Fought in two wars. Um, also received medals. I remember hearing stories of, you know, large men coming to my aunt's house and saying, can I, is Billy Burke here? And uh, she said, not here yet. And say, why? Well, I served in the war with him, and uh, he saved my life. And so th- they were honorable men. They gave up much. My grandfather came back, and he didn't have much of his mind left. Um, he spent the rest of his life drinking and died as a homeless veteran. So they sacrificed much for this country. But when my grandfather on my mother's side died, he died relatively young. You know, I think he was about 60 years old. Um, they had the whole ceremony. You guys know where they shoot off the guns. And they do a ceremonial um, folding of the flag. And they put the bullet shells in it. And they give it to a loved one. So they gave it to my Uncle Mark, who was the firstborn male. They gave him my grandfather's flag. It meant so much to us because it pointed to the sacrifice my grandfather had made. It pointed to what he fought for with our liberty, our independence, democracy, our freedom in this country. And so when my Uncle Mark got that flag, he took good care of it. He protected it. He got this unbelievable case, this glass case that he put it in. He made sure it stayed intact. And um, he put it in an honorable place in the house. So when you came in, you saw that flag. There were pictures around it. And he knew what it stood for, so he took good care of it. But what happened was my Uncle Mark um, died very young, in my opinion, young, 50 years old. And they gave the flag to my cousin, who didn't have that same understanding of what that flag was designed and created and patterned after. So what ended up happening was a few years later, my aunt went by her house because she was uh, moving. 
And there was a pile of stuff that had got disregarded, had got thrown to the side, had kind of got sent away. And in that pile, the flag was there. It wasn't in his case. It was ripped. It was dusty. All the bullet shells were gone out of it. It wasn't taken care of. It was disregarded as not that important. And in many ways in our culture, that's what we do and have done to marriage. One out of two marriages end in divorce. The general tone of the younger population, um, especially those who are not part of a community, a gospel community, they say that's not even natural for one man and one woman to spend the rest of their life together. I got to live it up, bro. What are you talking about? Maybe when I'm 52, I'll get married. I'll have a 20-year engagement. Then I'll get married when I'm 52. Um, There's another group who says, I saw my parents. I saw what they went through. I saw how miserable they were. There's nothing good about marriage. I'm not getting married. So our view as a culture has gone from what God designed it to be, way up here, displaying the glory of God. That's what marriage was made for to show off the glory of God. Now it's been brought down to a place where we say, ah, if I don't want to be a part of it, I'm just going to get out of it. Um, Just talking to someone this past week, they told me about a woman who said, either I stay in the marriage and I'm miserable, or I get out of it and I'm happy. There was no middle ground where the gospel works, where grace changes, where things can be restored and redeemed for the glory of God. Of God, what we want to do is listen to the teaching of Jesus today, and he brings us back to the creation narrative and tells us who created marriage, what he created for, and how we should treat it as holy and be thankful and grateful for it. So let's turn to Mark chapter 10. I'm going to start with verse 1. You guys know I like to walk it through verse by verse. And let's read that first verse together. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. Jesus was a Bible teacher. Much of his ministry was spent teaching the word of God. So we live in a culture where much of the time we exalt speculation over revelation. So we're in a situation where the Son of God has taught, is going to teach us today what marriage is and how we should respect it. Now, there's many other voices I'm sure you have heard in this culture that have their own opinions on what marriage is and why we should get out and what we're allowed to do and when divorce is deemed necessary. So we hear all those voices. But most important, the most important voice we should hear is the voice of Jesus. I want us to come here and really understand the honor and the privilege that we get to sit under the teaching of the Son of God through the Word. We can bank our lives on this truth. We can know that it is truth. We can depend on it. We can trust it. We can take everything Jesus taught and said as truth and live according to it. So let's read verse 2. And, um, and the Pharisees came up in order to test him, test him, asked. Um, so I'm going to stop right there. Actually, I'll go a little further. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? 
Notice that the Pharisees are never coming to Jesus to receive wisdom. There's always ulterior motives. So the Son of God here, the Messiah came to the earth. If there's anyone I want to go sit under his teaching, it's Jesus. I want to hear what he has to say about every subject. Marriage, divorce, healing, the kingdom of God, the Father. I want to sit under that. But they don't come to hear that his wisdom they come to test him so they can catch him with his words and find fault, probably because they want to see him murdered, just like John the Baptist. What they do to John the Baptist? He spoke up against divorce when it came to Herod and Herodias, and what happened to him? They put his head on a platter. This is how the culture was that day. The Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. So Jesus says in the next verse, because he's so wise, he says, um, he answered them, what did Moses command you? And we're going to go in the Old Testament. We're going to duff that thing off and go through an Old Testament text. So let's go to Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, because this is really the text that is being talked about um, during our text today. This is uh, Moses' instruction on divorce. And I'm going to start reading verse 24, 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife. After she has been defiled, for, what, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that your Lord, your God, is given you for an inheritance. So I want to explain this text right here and why it was put there. It was put there to protect the wife. Because what was happening was if a man was sending his wife away, he'd give her a certificate of divorce. That meant she could remarry. And so when she got remarried, she received another dowry from her father, which was land, which was money. You know, they're throwing a few goats back then just to even it off. And so she received this dowry that was given to her. But what would happen if her second husband died the first husband was trying to make a claim on that money, on that material, on, that, on those possessions that she had to live off. And do you see this attitude towards marriage? Instead of caring for um, his wife, they're trying to take stuff from her and use her for possessions. So Moses put this law in place to limit the consequences of the divorce and protect the wife. And so what's happening here is, let's just go. Jesus says it was allowed for this reason. And does, let's just read the next couple of verses just to get us to where we got to be. Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. I want us, us to hear this word allowed. Does everyone realize there would be no divorce if there was no sin? Because sin entered the world... There is divorce. Because sin entered the world, relationships are broken. 
People get divorced because they have sinned against one another or because they get sinful desires in their heart. So what he was saying is Moses wasn't promoting divorce, but he was allowing it because of sin. You're reading into this all the wrong way because what the Pharisees were doing, they were going to the scriptures to find ways out of marriage instead of going to the scriptures to find ways to redeem marriage. Once again, they're making that mistake. They're not going to the scriptures to point to Jesus. They're making it about themselves and trying to find loopholes. There was a big argument um, when it came to what that word indecency meant. There were two camps. One camp thought if a woman committed adultery or someone committed adultery or if the wife didn't um, you know, meet all the standards for the Jewish tradition. Then there was another camp that said anything humiliating, this attitude if your wife is obnoxious, if it's humiliating, send her away. This is echoed in the voice of Joshua ben Sarah in 200 BC where he says, if she does not go as you want her to go, send her away. Do you hear the sinfulness of that in there? Do you hear the attitude? What does that mean? Natalie, you didn't make my eggs right today. Here's a certificate. It was a good run, kid. Take care of yourself now. I don't like that hairdo. All right, now, I can't live like this. Not living like that. that's obnoxious. Take this. I'm humiliated. We should have won the two-on-two badminton championship of the world, and you didn't make that play. You should have let me hit that over the net. That still lives with me to this day. I was humiliated. <laughs> but do you see the callous attitude towards marriage? Instead of looking at it as, as a holy union, something God has designed and created for his glory, they're saying, this is a little, this is some work. This is inappropriate. That was a little humiliating. Trying to find ways out of marriage instead of trying to glorify God through marriage. So what Jesus is going to do, just like he does all the time, you know how when he came, he said, no longer does someone only commit adultery if they actually commit the act physically. But if they do it with their eyes, they've committed it in their heart, they've committed it before me. He's going to say the same, same thing towards marriage. It's not just about what's allowed. You've got to see a higher level here what God intended marriage to be. To show off his glory. To be modeled after the gospel of Jesus. This is amazing stuff. So let's just read the next few verses. Because Jesus is going to bring us back like he always does to the heart of the, mar- the matter. To confront our hard hearts and our sinful responses Um, two things he has designed for his glory. In verse 6, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They shall no longer be two, but they shall be one. The most important thing we take out of that is God created marriage. For his glory and our joy. It reflects his glory and the glory of the gospel. It is not good for man to be alone. God stated this. I can attest to that. I watched Mike Spurlock three weeks ago when Sarah Spurlock went away for a weekend. There was trouble in paradise. He said it was a restful weekend. He showed up at church with a bedhead. Now, I appreciate the extra beard growth. We're men around here. We appreciate that. He had a bed head, and he looked at me. I said, what did you do over the weekend? He said, I went and saw Journey 2 alone. 
Let that sit. You don't admit that to another man. That's like reading the, bringing the Twilight book as, you know, the stuff we're talking about. You don't roll like that. And I love you, Mike, but I got to call him out because I love him. It's not good for man to be alone. We get into trouble. We do foolish things. We waste time. Yeah, he's coming back. He'll get me back in the Wakefield church plant. He won't even want to tell me he's preaching on something else and just come at me. And so it is not good for man to be alone. So what does God do? By his grace, because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he wants to reflect his glory. He makes a person that is compatible to Adam, a woman, that's compatible in every way, spiritually, emotionally, physically, for his glory and Adam's joy and Eve's joy. I can only imagine being in the garden that day. You're lonely, you're wasting time, you're kicking rocks, you're naming animals, and Eve rolls up. All right, this just got serious. And I'm going to give the PG version. But that's unbelievable. How gracious is God? He's made me someone that I can be one with and display his glory. And it's not just us two. This is where we get it wrong. It's not just a covenant between the man and the woman. It's a covenant between God, the man, and the woman. Everything we do in our marriage is in the presence of God. He performed the first ceremony. He brought Eve, his first daughter, to Adam. He blessed it. It was in his presence. It brought him joy, and it displayed his glory. It was something the Apostle Paul said is a mystery, and it's profound that a man and woman come together to display the glory of God, and it's modeled after Christ and his church. How holy is that? How gracious is that? How awesome it is that we get to be a part of something like that. See what Jesus is doing? He's taking that callous attitude. You guys are trying to get out. You're trying to find loopholes. You're mistreating your wives. You're mistreating your husbands. This is what it was designed for. So being the prophet that he is, he's not going to end on a soft note. He's going to go from teaching to proclaiming prophetically. And let's read this last verse because our culture needs to hear this today. We need to hear this today. And I don't picture Jesus saying, oh man, what God brought together, let's just not tear it apart. I see him getting authoritative and say, let, let's read that together so I don't um, say the scripture wrong. What therefore God has joined together Let no man tear it apart. Authoritative. Pharisees are like, whoa, this dude, once again, he's teaching like no one we've ever heard. He's speaking with authority. He's confronting our sin. He's making us look bad. But what is Jesus doing? He's bringing us back to a place where we can glorify God through our life, through our marriages, through our responses. So the first thing, we can take out of this is how amazing is it that our marriages are modeled after the gospel of Jesus Christ? They're modeled after the relationship between Christ and the church because marriage is designed to bring glory to God. And that has a few implications on our life. So I never want to take for granted that we know the gospel. God loved us before we loved him. Not because there was anything desirable in us, 
Not because we were the good people that were getting a little right and had a good dreams and wanted to be a good person, but because he is love. We were filthy sinners that never would have turned to him if he had not sent his son and drawn us to himself. The second person of the Trinity comes to earth, becomes flesh, fully God and fully man. He lives the perfect, sinless life to show us how to live to achieve our righteousness. He's brutally murdered. He's rejected by his own children, his own creation. He's persecuted. He's accused. He's flogged. He's beaten and murdered. For what? For undeserving sinners like ourselves. He becomes our righteousness. He bears the wrath that was ours to bear. We don't have to bear the wrath that we deserve because of Jesus, because of his love. He dies a brutal death. He rises again for our justification. It is finished. We are reconciled by grace through faith to the Father. God looks at us no longer as objects of wrath, but objects of his affection. Christ purchased the church with his blood. He's patient with us every day. He transforms us by his grace. He's prepared a place for us in eternity. And even with that quick three to five minute spiel, I could spend eternity telling you what Jesus has done for us in the gospel and love. This is what marriage is modeled after. So the first thing we see is our marriages have to be rooted in grace. Grace, grace, grace. So you love when God allows things to happen so you can share them in your sermon the very same morning. And so I get up early on preaching days and um, I walk around my house for three hours and waste time. But I get up early and um, my wife has accused me of being a loud walker. She says, you're a 165-pound man. You walk like you're 520 pounds. Stop treating me like that. And so I think that I'm being a loving husband because when I got up, I was ready to put my boots on at 7 in the morning. I said, I'm leaving those boots on because I'm all about unity in my household. So she gets up. She comes out. It wasn't the first thing she said. I won't put her in that box. But we came around to it. And she goes, it is, I forget the exact words. I know the tone. and I know the attitude. She said, you're ridiculous loud in the morning. Basically, I'm sick of this. And so I had to bounce back. I said, it's preaching Sunday. I need encouragement. I don't need to hear you talking about me walking around loud. She bounces back. You're hypersensitive. I'm hypersensitive. I said, you don't say that to a grown man. It's preaching Sunday. I need to hear I'm a rock. I'm ready, ready to preach two services. She's hypersensitive. So we, we were throwing attitudes back at each other. It wasn't yelling, but there was attitudes. It's a face-off. So my, my daughter, Kara, is watching the whole thing. She looks at me and says, Dada, say sorry to Mama. <laughs> I said, I had to get an interpretation first. I said, what would you say? And Natalie was glad to tell me. She said, say sorry to mama. 
And so we said sorry to each other. And um, we usually come to that place anyways. And we apologized and hugged and kissed. It was authentic in front of our daughter. But this needs to happen in lighter situations, in serious situations. It's going to happen over and over again in our marriages. Two sinners are trying to live together. We're going to need to show each other grace. Be patient with each other. It's no longer, I hate when you do that. You do that. I can't take that anymore. Imagine God was like that with us. Wow. How many times did we fall into the same sin? How many times we fall in the same attitude? But what does Christ do? He loves us through his grace and changes us by his grace. John Piper calls this living vertically. Hearing that gospel, experiencing that gospel, rehearsing that gospel every day, knowing how Jesus responds to us and initiates with us in love, and then bending that horizontally towards our spouses. This is what we need to do because it's modeled after Christ and his church. We need to love and be patient with each other. Second thing, Christ does not leave his church. He will not ever leave his church. Men, you do not leave your wife, ever. Too many men nowadays looking to find reasons to leave their responsibility, to leave their wives. Maybe they said, I found something new, or maybe they just don't want to take responsibility that is sinful, that is not modeling marriage, because Christ would never leave his church. You should be committed to your wife. Protect your wife, love your wife, lead your wife, lay down your life for your wife because that's what Christ has done for the church. And that can be switched around the same way with a wife and a husband. And this next thing I want to say, I want to be very delicate because there's two groups I'm talking to. There's one group has been had a callous attitude towards Marriage. So they're looking for ways out of marriage. They make statements like, I have to be true to myself, so I'm leaving this marriage. Which is Hebrew for I'm sinful and selfish. Well, I just, I don't feel we're compatible. I'm not happy anymore. I have these dreams. Our lives have grown apart. What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. If I was true to myself, I'd be on a beach in Hawaii playing a guitar on white sand with my chest hair hanging out saying, stay thirsty, my friends. <laughs> well, what is this stay true to myself? I'm a sinner. If I stay true to myself, the whole thing's going to break. Stay true to Jesus. Stay true to the gospel. Stay true to marriage. <laughs> I don't want to give the um, get out of marriage free card to people who are looking for ways. So I want to be sensitive. But I also want to talk to this other group who has been sinned against greatly, who I have a tremendous amount of sensitivity and compassion for. I won't, I've seen women in my life, I won't share the relationships, but I've watched them get abused. I've watched the man habitually cheat on them. I've watched, heard them being physically abused, their children be abused, and they felt trapped by this text. That was not the point of this text. So I want to say to you as one of the pastors here, if you're getting abused physically, if your children are getting abused, you do not want to feel trapped by this text. Your pastors are here. Your community is here. You can tell us. And in some cases, 
it is allowed, and someone has sinned so much against you that the marriage cannot be redeemed, and you need not feel condemnation. Please hear me there. I've seen women suffer. I've seen men suffer and condemn themselves. It's my fault. I shouldn't allow that to happen. Some of you were sinned against greatly, and there was no other way, and you did everything you can, and you shouldn't feel condemned. You feel the grace of God and the love of the Father. I want us to hear that from us. Moving on. Choose wisely. For those who are married, it's too late. <laughs> you made your choice, man. You got to live with it. <laughs> but to those who haven't made their choice yet, I just want to give you some pointers, just like I tell my daughters or my sons, if I ever have them in the future. I want you to really think about this decision because this is the person you would spend the most time with. This is a person you would display the glory of God together. It's a person you will serve with, serve the church with, you will love, you will pray with. I want to start with our daughters. A man has to be committed to God and love Jesus before he can ever properly and rightly love you. Don't do evangelism what they call it, evangelism dating. Yes, yes, that's the translation. Don't do that. Yes, God can change people. God can awaken people. But a man needs to be, understand the gospel, be awakened by God's grace and have his faith in Jesus before he can ever rightly love you like Christ loves the church. Secondly, he has to be a hard worker. We live in an age of lazy men. They work for 45 minutes. They play video games for 45 minutes. They watch a, a football game for four hours. Before you know it, they're like, man, I'm tired. What are you talking about? Your man should be willing to work 60 to 70 hours a week, if need be, to provide for you and your family at during seasons of your life. He's got to be a hard worker. He's got to be trustworthy. If a man is habitually lying to you with no repentance and no transformation... That's not someone you want to commit your life to. And I want to say this all with grace, but I wouldn't be a loving pastor if we weren't given warnings about marriage. Men, basically mirroring what it is said to the women. A woman has to love Jesus before she can ever love you. She must also be hardworking. Marriage is tough work. Taking care of kids, taking care of each other, is hard, hard work. And she must be trustworthy. What joy it brings to a husband when he knows he can trust his wife. It brings joy to your flesh, joy to your bones. My wife is so trustworthy. You know what that makes me feel like every day? Confident, thankful. I feel the grace of God in my life. And finally, marriage is a blast. So you know how people have this picture, man, I get the old ball and chain. Yeah, let's paint those kind of pictures. They're going to be jumping over the walls to get into marriage. <laughs> marriage is a blast. You get to spend your life with one person to love them, to care for them. And that beauty only grows when you've been through storms, when you've been through pain, when you've been through heartache when you've been through struggles and you're still lasting by the grace of God. How beautiful today in our culture when you see a man and a woman married, committed to God, and 
committed to each other. It displays and shows off the glory of God. It's a rare sight around these parts. But let it be said in Seven Mile Road that by God's grace, we are loving each other like Christ loves the church. To show off the glory of God. Marriage points to a greater reality. What our hero, what our savior, what our God has done for us. As we respond with song today, let's remember the love that he's shown us, his bride, the church. Let's glory in that. Let's revel in that. Let's sing with all our heart towards a God who loves us because of who he is. Let's be thankful for what he has done for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this church. I thank you for your grace towards us. I pray that your grace would just pour out in our marriages, in our future marriages, that they would display your glory, Father. Cause us to be loving, patient, and merciful towards each other, like you are towards us, the church. Amen.